Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash lawless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. A set piece is to soccer what water is to life. You need it to survive, but it can kill you. So far, this has been the World Cup of set pieces. So, yes, set pieces are a big deal, and teams ignore them at their own peril. Hello, Sunshine. Welcome to the State of the Union podcast where we look at the beautiful game through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. Um, this is an abbreviated version of the State of the Union coming to you once again from Russia. Greetings from Moscow. My good friend David Mossy, can you hear me? Are you there? I can hear you. I am here. Uh, I'm doing well. You know, I was ready to come on today and talk about how the weather had really trended in the right direction the last few days, but then we had a bit of a setback yesterday, Alexi, as you know all too well. Rain. Rain in Moscow. Um, and at our set at Red Square, uh, the, the men and women that work to set it up each and every day were running around going crazy because not only was it rain, but it was this incredible wind. And it was very quick and followed by sunshine so it was all over the map but i guess that's kind of uh uh par for the course when it comes to this world cup mossy we are all over the place in terms of what we were seeing this world cup so far has something for everybody uh on and off the field all the things that we are seeing there are stories coming out each and every moment uh we are seeing great goals we are seeing uh controversy uh we are seeing things that we didn't expect Everything that you would want from a World Cup, as far as I'm concerned, and uh, we are knee deep in it. I, I'm, I don't know about you, Mossy. Very little sleep. I have lost complete track of time and space. In that, <laughs> half the time, I have no idea where I am nor what time of the day it is in terms of how you traditionally feel. Are you are you experiencing the same things? Yeah, the thing I'm really struggling with is days of the week. I mean, those have ceased to have any yep. meaning anymore, and and words like tomorrow and yesterday. <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, it's uh, uh, yeah, it, it it is really odd with the time difference, uh, and so I mean, it's uh, you know, we have uh, people at Fox that are that are covering this obviously from back in LA, 
and, and exchanging emails with them and trying to get situated with different projects we're working on together. It's been incredibly complicated, but we're getting through it. All right. Well, listen, uh, nobody wants to hear us complain about uh, covering a World Cup. Uh, regardless of the challenges that we may have, it is still uh, an incredibly privileged and wonderful opportunity. Uh, I'm going to speak for you, Monsi, saying that uh, this is this is what we live for. Uh, this is each and every day a, a Groundhog Day type of existence, but the best Groundhog Day you could ever live. And we're still, to a certain extent, early days. We are we are knee deep in the group stage. We have now seen every single team play, uh, and we've even seen. Uh, a couple teams play twice, uh, and it just keeps going on and on. And once you have that frame of reference, it makes it, well, to be honest, it makes it easier, but it also makes it much more enjoyable because now you can see some trends start. You can see different players start to emerge. Um, you can compare and contrast with what happened in previous games and games that actually meant something. So uh, we're getting into the meat of the group stage, and we're also getting into a point where uh, trends tournament-wise are starting to uh, starting to come forward, and so that leads us perfectly into Alexi Lawless's State of the Union. Yes, it is my State of the Union, and it goes something like this: A set piece is to soccer what water is to life. You need it to survive, but it can kill you. So far, this has been the World Cup of set pieces. It's a set piece orgy. 19 of the 42 goals scored so far at this World Cup have been from set pieces. A set piece can be a free kick, a corner, a penalty, a throw-in, or even a kickoff. Basically, in a game that rarely stops, it's the moment when it does. And in that moment, you see a rehearsed movement that includes predetermined routes and kicks and subterfuge, all designed to capitalize on your strength and or your opponent's weakness. A set piece is the closest thing that soccer will ever come to American football. Coaches diagram and scheme and try to find an advantage. And teams wary of the opposition seeing what they're doing will often close practice during set pieces. The assignments and the responsibilities on both the offense and defense are written down and even posted in the locker room. So, yes, set pieces are a big deal. And teams ignore them at their own peril. And it seems in this World Cup, set pieces could be the difference between going on or going home. And that's my State of the Union for this week, coming to you, as we said, from Russia. All right, Mossy, uh, you know me. You know that I talk about set pieces. I love set pieces. Some people scream and yell at me because I talk about set pieces so much and the importance of set pieces. Um, do you agree with me that this, so far at least, has been a um, a a, a a World Cup where set pieces have come to almost define what is going on. We in the uh, in the in our set at Red Square, as we're watching these games, we'll we'll see a goal, and invariably it'll be a set piece, and everybody will just start screaming "set piece, set piece, set piece." Do you think that this is because of any reason, or this is just the soccer gods saying, "Well, this is going to be this anomaly where there's going to be a ridiculous amount of set piece goals"? Well, first off. Uh, there should be one fewer set-piece goal than there have been if the referee had spotted the push on Miranda um, from Switzerland. <laughs> but, uh, but I digress. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that later maybe during the power rankings. Uh, no, it's absolutely been a big theme of this tournament. Um, and, you know, the question I would ask you is how much uh, did 
did your teams that you played on uh, practice defending set pieces? Because I've heard this explanation that, well, national team coaches don't have as much time to train, and that's why you're seeing all of this. But they seem to have enough time to train executing set pieces, but defending them, that's been the problem. So, so how much uh, during your time with the U.S. national team, how much time did you devote uh, in practice to actually defending against set pieces? Is that something that you can actually practice for as a team and, and, and work at and become good at? Absolutely, you can practice for it. And, and I think it's, it's incumbent on the, the coaching staff to be prepared. And yes, you have less time when you are with a national team, but these teams have been together uh, leading up to this World Cup for numerous weeks, plenty of time uh, to have figured it out. And you, you, you do it every single day. In a club situation, obviously, it's a, it's a, consistent, uh, it's a consistent theme. In a national team, especially gearing up for a World Cup, you will have scouted your opposition. You will know what type of set pieces they are running or have run. Uh, it doesn't mean that you're not going to be faced with something you may not have seen before that they're saving for the World Cup. But it's inexcusable for roles not to be defined. Now, within a set piece, we all know that there are times where people lose, lose their man, uh, forget their responsibility. Sometimes when substitutions happen, uh, players will, uh, will forget to make that transition that if you were marking this guy when this 11 was on the field and it changes, you have to be able to adjust. But set pieces uh, are, are – it's not as if we are telling – coaches or anybody else out there how important the set piece is even in normal circumstances the set pieces uh, are important the defensive part of it is is key and different coaches and different teams do it differently for example we saw a set piece goal from japan on Colombia yesterday in which there was nobody on either post now either somebody missed a an assignment which is inexcusable because you are you are told you are on that post. Now, keep in mind also that Colombia had a red card in the first half, so possibly um, a, a role or an assignment to a player that's kicked off will then have to be assumed by somebody else. But that can get taken care of, and that should be taken care of either on the field or certainly at halftime that can be adjusted. And this happened in the second half well beyond when that red card happened. So not having two players on the post. Now, that may be a tactical decision. It didn't work out for them in this case. But those are the types of things that are defined. So much so, as I said in my State of the Union, it is written up on the wall oftentimes every, diff every set piece, defending set pieces and attacking set pieces, your role and responsibility. So every player going out, and you can bet your bottom dollar that every player going out in a World Cup knows exactly what he or she is responsible for on those set pieces. And if there is a missed assignment, it is because that, well, 99% of the time, it is because a player on the field failed to live up to that responsibility and either was beaten just one-on-one -on -one in, in whatever that role was or didn't remember that responsibility. So, yeah, it is, it is something that, that coaches and teams stress and spend a tremendous amount of time. Um, when it comes to you know, a Cristiano Ronaldo free kick goal, that is, that is a set piece. You, you have your wall, you jump, you do what you do. There's some stuff that you just can't, you can't defend against, no matter how organized um, and ahead of the game that you are. Uh, but other stuff, there is uh, plenty, plenty that you can do and plenty that you have done to try to prepare for it. Yeah, I mean, the answer there is to not commit needless fouls around the box if you know you're facing 
a team that has a, a good set piece taker and that PK was the <laughs> offender there in that Portugal Spain game, giving one all of that chance to equalize that game. So yeah, I, I suppose that's the only way to defend, uh, defend that to just avoid giving away free kicks uh, on the edge of the area. Uh, but in terms of the other kind of set piece corners and crosses and such, uh, we, we've highlighted a couple of times in this tournament uh, height discrepancies between teams. Oh, this team's very tall. This team's very short. Is that something? Maybe it wasn't right, but is that something that you're going to be really on the lookout for the rest of this tournament if, when you're preparing uh, to, for a game? That, that if, you, if you notice something like that, that all of a sudden now that's something you're going to be more aware of and think it's potentially a big factor. Uh, yeah, but I don't think it's it's a direct result of this. Uh, this increase in the set piece goal. I think that that's something that we identified beforehand. And I think we will continue. So, you know, if you're dealing with a, uh, you know, an Iceland or, um, or a Sweden that either has uh, a lot of the ball in the air, obviously has many tall players in their starting 11 um, or has a long uh, throw in, for example, when you're talking about uh, an Iceland uh, or a Sweden, we're going to, we're going to identify that. That hasn't always played out and worked uh, and worked that way. So, the, the, once again, you talk about preparation. Mitigating uh, the the height discrepancy between teams is something that uh, is something that happens and something that uh, something that is that is important. You know, for example, an idea. You know, South Korea playing uh, Chinook up top, who's six foot six. You have your advantage from an offensive standpoint, but you also have an advantage of he being in there, being able to uh, being able to help on set pieces to to clear the ball up. So that's I don't think that's necessarily uh, changed. Now we've talked about this this set piece phenomenon in this World Cup. Are there any other trends right now that stick out to you when it comes uh, when it comes to this World Cup about what's happening after having gone now and seeing all the teams play? Well, the uh... Growing parity in the game is on display again. Uh, I'll be honest, I've been kind of bristling a little bit at us calling some of these results massive upsets uh, because I just don't see it that way. I think uh, this has been a, a trend now where you could see that regardless of what the FIFA rankings might say, and I don't put out too much stock in them, that there's not that much of a gap uh, in quality between some of these teams as much as you might perceive. Uh, I mean, the one that bugged me was you know, Senegal, Poland, uh, you know, based on the FIFA rankings, we tried to act like that was some uh, stunning result. But, you know, if you looked at the players on the field, I mean, certainly if you rank all the players on the field, two of the top three were on Senegal, and Mane and Koulibaly. So uh, I, I think we need to be careful with that. And I certainly wouldn't think Russia beating Egypt at home is an upset, regardless of what the FIFA rankings might say. So I, I guess my other big takeaway would be just the, the overall parity. Now, we'll see if it translates down the road because there's always been this incredible paradox with soccer in that, you know, it's a low scoring game that uh, has a sort of randomness to an individual game. You know, one mistake in the 50th minute can decide it and a team can get nominated and win uh, and a team can dominate and lose. So you'd think that would lend itself to more randomness in terms of World Cup winners, but we've never actually had a, a, a genuinely like Cinderella World Cup champion, all 20 World Cups. They've all been won by a quote unquote big boy who was one of the favorites coming in. So, you know, we've seen, some upsets early on, some surprises, and you know we'll see how far that goes. But whether once once we get into the knockout stage, the the, the big teams will reassert themselves. But I guess that would be the only other trend: this sort of idea of expect the unexpected, and, and that we're going to any game now and feeling like you know the result could go either way. Well, well, two things: one, it gets back to the rankings, and uh, whether it's just just the rankings being completely off, which is nothing new. We've talked for years about 
the FIFA rankings and, and uh, whether it's teams or, or, or media will use it when it fits their narrative and, and they will dismiss it when it doesn't. Um, so whether it's that or just the fact that in a certain way, it's insulting at times to call something uh, an upset. And a lot of it is based in a lack of knowledge about the team, a lack of knowledge and understanding about the individual players that are making up this team. And that's, that's to be expected when you have so many different teams and so many different players. Uh, and, you know, in our world of soccer, it's next to impossible unless your name, unless your name is David Mossy to be able to retain all of this information from all of these, uh, these different teams. But I would agree to, I I would I would agree with you to a certain extent that sometimes it's disingenuous for for us to label something this Cinderella story or this incredible miracle and 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 in doing so be incredibly patronizing to some of these teams and players as if they've never played the game before or they couldn't possibly compete and we know certainly when it comes to the modern game tactically the way that inferior teams are able to compete but some sometimes we're labeling these teams inferior when in actuality they are any, they are anything but. But that gets me to the, to the point of what the World Cup does. It exposes us to players and teams that maybe we haven't seen before, and it gives us a new sense of appreciation for what they are. And if, if anything, this first round of games uh, has done, I think it has brought about some teams that maybe people didn't think were going to be as good and highlighted some players and highlighted some, uh, some, uh, some themes that maybe uh, we, didn't, we didn't expect. But I will caution you and everybody out there. Uh, we have only been w- one round through this group stage. And in any World Cup, it twists and turns. It uh, bobs and weaves, and it goes up and down. And so our perception of teams may be drastically different after the second game as opposed to after the first. And that's part of the fun, to be quite honest, is to see how the narrative and how the, um, the view of these teams changes with these results. And so we're going to go through another round here, and it'll be very interesting next time we talk, Mossy, about how our perception uh, has changed after, uh, after another round of games. All right, listen, that's enough about uh, set pieces and that trend. We're going to get into a little bit more specifics uh, coming up here. Um, and Mossy, anything else you want to say before we uh, head out to our next segment? Well, let me just say, uh, my name is David Mossy, and it's not all it's cracked up to be. <laughs> all right, with that, moving on. All right, Mossy, uh, it is time for our Fox Sports Power Rankings. Uh, remind the listener out there uh, what our top 10 is uh, or has been. Now, it has changed since then, but uh, I will remind you that last week our top 10 was this. Number 10, Colombia. Number 9, England. Number 8, Portugal. Number 7, Belgium. Number 6, Argentina. Number 5, Uruguay. Number 4, France. Number 3, Brazil. Number 2, Germany. And number 1, Spain. Uh, As I said, we have gone through a round of games. We have seen everybody, and our perceptions of these teams may have been altered. So, our new list, as it stands, and there has been some movement, ladies and gentlemen. Here is our Fox Sports Power Rankings. Number 10, Argentina. Number 9, Uruguay. Number 8, England. Number 7, Mexico. Number 6, Germany. Number 5, France. Number 4, Brazil. Number 3, Portugal. Number 2, Belgium. And number 1, Spain. So for those keeping track, our top three last week was 
Spain at one, Germany at two, and Brazil at three. Now we have Spain at one, Belgium at two, and Portugal at three. So uh, some notes on this. Uh, Colombia falls out of our top 10. England is moving up a spot. Mexico joins our top 10 standings. Uh, Germany drops four spots after their loss to Mexico. Belgium, a huge leap from seven to two. They looked incredible uh, in their first game. Argentina, the big fall going from uh, six to 10. And Uruguay goes from five to nine, despite picking up a win. All right, Mossy, anything stand out to you about this new top 10? Well, uh, you mentioned Colombia dropping out. Uh, you know, it's been a concern the last few World Cups that the quality is perhaps dipped because players are so fatigued uh, coming off their club seasons. I haven't really noticed that uh, so much, but you have seen some teams that have been affected by their star player uh, coming into this tournament with an injury, and Colombia was certainly one because James was unable to start that game against Japan, Egypt obviously being another with Mo Salah, Brazil with Neymar, which I'm sure we'll get to when we work our way down there in the power rankings. Uh, so that would be one takeaway. Colombia is a team that a lot of people were high on, but I think a lot of people were high on expecting that James coming off a really good season with Byron was raring to go again and was going to be able to pick up where he left off four years ago, and that wasn't the case. He was uh, he was injured. Now his uh, uh, replacement, Quintero, scored a free kick goal there, a little help from the Japanese goalkeeper. He's an interesting player, having sort of revived his career at River Plate, uh, but nevertheless, they would have rather have had James uh, fit and healthy and be able to play all 90 minutes in that game. So, I mean, that explains Colombia dropping out um, that loss to Japan. Uh, let me shoot all the way to the top uh, because I, I very much agree with Spain. Uh, I think of all the uh, teams that we view as sort of realistic candidates to uh, win this World Cup, uh, I thought they actually put in the best performance against Portugal. And to be, it confirmed that they're going to be fine with Fernando Yero, that they've, they've kind of turned the page and all that craziness with Lopetegui. Uh, I thought they were the better team in that game. They should have won, and the only reason they didn't was because De Gea committed an incredible howler, and then, like I said, Pique, uh dumb foul late, giving Ronaldo a chance to equalize. So it was quite a kind of isolated incident, but in terms of the flow of the game, I thought they were actually quite impressive in that game, played very well, and, and confirmed in my mind that, that they are the best team at this World Cup. So uh, I'm very much in agreement with keeping Spain uh, number one. Now, as, as I stated before, the Fox Sports Power Rankings are not necessarily our individual uh, beliefs. Uh, it is a, a culmination of a lot of different people together. Now, uh, there was some back and forth, I remember last week when we were giving our, um, uh, our feedback as to where our top tens were, as to if Mexico should be in the top ten or not. Obviously, now we have seen Mexico, and not only have we seen Mexico, but a historic result against Germany. You saw what it meant to the players, Chicharito, and tears streaming down, and Juan Carlos Osorio. I can also tell you from being here, there are, there are El Tri fans everywhere, everywhere. Uh, and to see that reaction, uh, I think it's completely justified that they are in the top 10, not, not just because they beat Germany but the way in which they beat Germany. And look, I know that from a Fox perspective and from a U.S. soccer perspective, we have this connection with El Tri. And so there's a lot more focus on this Mexico team and much more so now because of the fact that the U.S. team is not involved in this tournament. Uh, and we've, we have played up Mexico. And I think it's been fair. But do, are you a believer now 
in what Mexico was doing and in this Mexican team, maybe, maybe that, not that you weren't, but more so now given the way that they went out and beat uh, Germany in this first round? Yeah, and, and first off, let me say, th- these rankings are always tricky because you're trying to balance uh, what you saw in the first game for these teams with your overall opinion about them coming in. I don't think you can throw that completely out the window. So you're kind of working off the previous rankings a little bit. And so I, I wasn't going to drop Germany so much. I was only going to put Mexico, you know, we have them at number seven. Um, and and so, yeah, I, I think that win over Germany certainly makes you take another look at them and, and say, wow, that there might be something here more than I, than I expected. I mean, it looked so poor. In, in those pre-tournament friendlies uh, that you really were wondering, you know, what kind of state they were in coming into the tournament. And they sort of answered those critics. And there is a lot of talent there. And Chucky Lozano's really confirmed that he could be a real breakout star this summer. And so, yeah, they, I think they got everybody's attention. They, they deserve to move into this top 10. And I'm glad we put him in there. Uh, but I, I'm still, you know, it's one game. Uh, we'll see Mexico, as, I, as you made the point on TV, has a, has a bit of a habit of playing up to and playing down to their competition. So now they have games coming up against uh, South Korea and Sweden, and we'll see how those go. The key for Mexico here, uh, I would say, is to try to uh, push through now and win this group. Although, as I say that, uh, who knows if Brazil is going to win theirs? I mean, that, that's another fascinating <laughs> the fact that uh, you, you could have some incredible round of 16 matchups here based on teams not winning groups that we assumed they were going to win. You could have Brazil, Germany, you could have France, Argentina, and so we'll have to keep an eye on that. Uh, but uh, no, I mean, to answer your, your, your first question, yeah, I, I was impressed by Mexico. Uh, I've always felt like they had a lot of talent uh, on that team and just hadn't, weren't able to put it all together um, consistently. But yeah, they certainly did in that game against Germany. They should have won by more, frankly. And so now Mexico is certainly a team that I'm going to keep an eye on the rest of the way. And I think uh, what, what we're seeing also is this effect of, for example, someone like Belgium, who, who moved up from seven to two and now sits in second, uh, second position. Uh, they came out and they rolled uh, Panama. And that in of itself is, is not that big a feat, with all due respect to my Panamanian friends. But what, what we saw was a team that everybody recognized uh, before the tournament started was a, a potential contender. Incredible talent yet to live up to the talent. And in that moment against Panama, they lived up to uh, the hype. And so I think they get that they get that that jolt uh, and that added advantage that kind of puts them up a couple of uh, uh, a couple of places as opposed to other big name teams that haven't lived up to the hype, you know. And, and I think England uh, benefits from that too because while we are extolling the virtues of, of England, and I, and I think rightfully so, a lot of people have have uh, come back at me and said, "You're just celebrating England beating Tunisia." <laughs> <laughs> and 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 in that sense, they are right. It's not necessarily something to write home about or any particular feat. However, I think when it comes to England, um, people had cautious optimism and to see the way that England was able to pull out a victory and maybe in a different way than we have seen. I just think that it, it, it's a little bit different. But all this all this plays into this uh, uh, this top ten thing now. You, you, a lot of the, the people that, that are involved in this list have kept Spain at number one, despite the fact that they didn't win their first game uh, in, an, in an amazing fashion with Cristiano doing what, doing what he did. When we talk about, for example, Argentina, uh, the, the same type of um, confidence that people have had in Spain doesn't necessarily apply to Argentina. Are you as down on Argentina as everyone else seems to be after that first game? 
I am. Frankly, I thought they were overranked by a couple of spots in our initial ranking. So uh, to me, this drop they've had puts them closer to where they belong. Um, yeah, they, they were just so lethargic in that game against Iceland. And, and you know, it's, I, I mentioned this on some of the pods we did back in LA. There was just disconnect with Argentina because uh, folks that have really followed this team over the last year or two, watched them play a lot, uh, could sense that something was off here. Well, there, there were people that were still looking at the squad on paper, seeing a lot of big names, especially at top. And based on their club pedigree, still treating it like this was some incredibly loaded squad that was, you know, major, major threat to win this World Cup. Now, listen, they, they, they could get things straightened out and go on to win it. I mean, they still have Messi. You know, Sampaoli is, is a good coach, I think. But, uh, but I mean, there, there are some, some deep problems here. I think that there, there's not a lot of quality there at the back and in the midfield. And, and just getting that right sort of combination up top is still a problem for them. I know Ian Wright was screaming – uh, after the game, that they need to start Iguain and Dybala and throwing in all these names. And, and the problem is that they, they've tried those players too, and it, it hasn't worked with them either. So uh, certainly Dybala's had all sorts of problems playing alongside Messi. I think it is probably something they need to give, give a shot to, but uh, I don't know. There's no guarantee that. I mean, uh, the solution isn't just to throw a bunch of attacking players on the field and completely unbalance your team. But, um, you know, yeah, I, I am pretty down in Argentina, I have to say. I'm, I'm now starting to wonder about them getting out of this group, frankly. Ooh. Wow. Uh, all right. Well, let's let's move on. And I've wait. I've, I've I've held off on talking about it, but let's talk about it. Mossy, you're Brazil. Um, after the first game against Switzerland, as we know, uh, they did not get the win. Uh, they come out with a point, and all the talk was, and I think rightfully so, was not just that Brazil didn't get the win, but this. Uh, this tactic, shall we say, of Switzerland, where Neymar was hacked down time and time again. Uh, I caused a little bit of a stir in uh, Switzerland because I came on air and I talked about how I thought it was disgraceful in terms of performance by Switzerland, but also the performance of the referees. And so all my Swiss friends were not happy with me. Um, and they came to the defense of their team, and they uh, pointed out that uh, Neymar, in their estimation, is a diver and that this is a physical game, and it wasn't even close to the way that I was depicting it. Uh, but I thought that it got completely out of hand. And look, I'm not saying that, that Neymar doesn't invite it, but this is a guy who was obviously better than everybody else on that field and loves to take not just one player, but multiple players on. And in doing so, he's going to put himself in situations where he's going to get fouled. I thought the referee lost control. Uh, is, that, is, that, is that all on the referee or is that on Switzerland? Uh, it's more on the referee than it is Switzerland. But I, I did think that it got to a point where it was ridiculous in terms of the fouls. Now, having talked to some of my Brazilian friends, not just, not just you, the sentiment in Brazil was they were not giving uh, Neymar uh, the benefit of the doubt as much as maybe I am, and they were not defending him as much as maybe I, I was. What was your take after that Brazil game, especially as it relates to how Neymar was treated? Well, first off, leave it to you to somehow rile up people in Switzerland who have never been angry once in their entire lives. But um, listen, I, I, think, I think both things can be true. Uh, yeah, there there was excessive fouling in that game. I think that has to be noted, and and we've seen the effects of it because it looks like he's he's been limping around training, and uh, people are saying it's because of some of the knocks he took in that game. Uh, but I also don't think he played all that well. Uh, and, and frankly, I could see this coming. I, I tried to warn people. I know he scored beautiful goals in those friendlies against Croatia and Austria, but if you actually watch the whole game, he clearly wasn't a hundred percent. He was 
losing the ball a lot. He was he was a little bit off. His timing, his rhythm, uh, didn't have that same explosiveness that you're accustomed to seeing. And so I, I thought all of that was a problem. And, and you know, the issue for me too is that um, the whole point of playing this lineup with Coutinho in the midfield, one of the byproducts of it is it's supposed to afford Neymar the ability to play closer to goal. He doesn't have to drop back as deep and function as the playmaker because you do have somebody like Coutinho there that can do that. And yet he's still dropping back way too deep. When This has been a problem for Brazil the last couple of years. Obviously, things have been mostly good under Chichi, but uh, whenever Brazil get in a game where they're struggling, they're a little bit out of sync, they're frustrated, Neymar's response is just to drop back deep and pick up the ball and, and try to do it all himself. And, and so it, it's a real problem. He needs to sort of trust the, the teammates in those situations and move the ball around a little bit more and let the spaces open up naturally. Um, and, yeah, so I, I was very disappointed. To I mean, Brazil were flying going into this tournament. Uh, my expectations were very high. I mean, that, that's what I get for once in my life being optimistic. But uh, And I do think they had a very, very good first 20 minutes, which I think is why they stayed still high in these rankings because – they did show you a glimpse of what this team could be. I mean, they were putting on a show there for a stretch early in the first half. And then right after the goal, they switched off. I mean, they, it, was, it was so bewildering to me. Uh, the, the, the second part of the first half and the early part of the second half, just how, uh, how lethargic they were. And, they, 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 and then they tried to switch it back on again, and they, they, they did dominate the last portion of the game. But still, you never felt as good about them again as you did in those first 20 minutes. So... Uh, I don't know. Suddenly, I'm, I'm doubting myself again. I think Chichi has some some things he has to sort out there. Are you are you suggesting, Moxie, uh, and dare I say it, that that Brazil could possibly be better if Neymar is not playing? Is it addition by subtraction when it comes to him? No, no, no. That's ridiculous. I'm, I'm just saying that uh, you know they 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 they've tweaked the formation and and they've tweaked it in such a way that it could be to his benefit. But still, so he, some of his old habits. Uh, still resurfaced here that yeah but no no I mean I believe me I've seen this team without Neymar and and the drop-off and flair and creativity is, is stark I mean you still have very good players on the field but it's not the same thing so of course I still want him out there at all times but you just got to kind of find that right balance I, I don't need him I mean this this routine he does of of picking up the ball in midfield and with his back to the opposition goal and, and dancing around for 10 minutes and, and, and trying really hard to draw a foul there and that part of the field, which does nothing for me. Just 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 get rid of it and, and keep it moving. And, and yeah, I mean, you know what I'm talking about. He, he just like stops and, and faces his guy and then does the, the stance and twist and turn for 20 minutes and it, it just completely disrupts the, the flow of things. Also, he can try to draw like a, the guy to lean in and, and foul him and get a free kick out of it, which, I mean, I don't know. So, so those are the little irritating things about his game. I mean, obviously I love him. I think he's a great player, but uh, so, I mean, those are just the little things that resurface in that game that he needs to get sorted out. But again, it's all about his physical condition. If he's, if he can get himself at some point in this tournament healthy and at something approaching a hundred percent, then, then I think he'll, he'll be fine. And then the team will be fine. All right. Let's end it uh, here when it comes to our Fox sports power rankings, other than Brazil, because let's, let's put that aside. Uh, which one of these teams has piqued your interest the most? And it doesn't mean that they're going to go on and win it, but just uh, after that first game, you said, you know what? All right, you, you, you got my attention. Which one of them? I'll give you mine after, but I want to hear yours first. You know, I might have to say England. Uh, I know it was only 2-1 against Tunisia. They needed a late goal, but I, there was a real spark about their performance that I liked. And, and it, it sort of backed up a lot of what I've been reading about Gareth Southgate and the youth and and I know you, you, that was your big theme about this being in New England, and I kind of felt that watching that game. Uh, I mean, they should have been up three or four nil, 
in the first half. And so I think that was a performance, you know, that there, there's something to build on there for England. So all of a sudden, they're, they're a team I'm kind of taking a look at here. Yeah, and, and mine did I feel on, yours? And new, <laughs> Yeah, no, you did. You took mine. But that, that New England type of vibe um, is, is very intriguing and very interesting. I'm going to be curious as to how long it lasts or – um, or, or if it lasts uh, going into this uh, uh, this second this second game, uh, if I had to pick one uh, that's not England, uh, I would say Mexico. Um, I think that as as I said earlier, not just that they beat Germany, but the way in which they beat Germany, the dynamic uh, and incredibly ruthless way that they picked apart that German defense. As I said on air. Mexico came out and Juan Carlos Osorio gave the gift of confidence and courage uh, and the and the gift of being okay to risk to this Mexico team and they punched Germany on the nose and before Germany had a time to even uh, you know look down and see that they were bleeding they punched them again and again and again and it was wonderful to see and I think Juan Carlos Osorio and this team deserves a tremendous amount of credit but as you rightfully said uh, it, it's 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 over now. And can are they going to rest on their laurels going now against lesser opponents for these next couple of games? I, I hope that they don't, and I hope that they come out because it's not just guys like myself and, and folks that have kind of followed Mexico for a while. I think the world really stood up and looked at Mexico uh, with this result and the way in which this result uh, this result came. Um, all right, so we will have another another round of our Fox Sports power rankings next week um as i said we are coming to you from russia uh i apologize ahead of time for the quality of the audio i know that there are audiophiles out there who are going to scream and yell and be pulling their hair out saying why don't you do this why don't you do that mossy and i are in two different places although the same city so i rarely if at all see uh see david mossy i hear him uh, in uh, in uh, an audio capacity when we are working every day because he's sending through uh, nuggets and uh, as is his job, whether he's researching or he's writing stuff for everybody uh, that uh, that is involved. But I don't see him often. So I'm looking forward at some point, Mossy, to seeing you. But before I give you my final thought, it has been brought to my attention, Mossy. We obviously traveled over here and we travel a lot. It's been brought to my attention by someone that will remain nameless. Um, that you you have a problem, uh, and I'm going to lay it out here, and you can either uh, defend yourself or uh, just admit that this is a problem. Um, a picture was sent to me this uh, this week, and this is a picture of you on the trip over to Russia, and it's a picture of the cabin of the airplane that you were on, and what has happened is there is one window open and that window happens to be your window. Nobody is saying or doing anything. You are that one window that is shedding light into the entire cabin while people are trying to sleep. One, is it true that you are that guy? And two, why are you that guy? Well, first off, I bought a book uh, on the history of Russia uh, that I read on the flight over here, which was quite good. I felt like I needed to brush up on the country I was about to spend six weeks in, and so that was the reason for that. I needed the light. Uh, I was I, I read literally the whole the whole way through. Uh, and yes, I am very much that guy. When I am on an airplane, 
I could care less about the comfort of anybody else on that plane. I am going to do what I need to do. I'm going to do me. And, and to me, it's, it's warfare in that airplane. I mean, you do what you need to do to get yourself comfortable and situated. And, uh, and if other people had a problem with it on that flight, uh, that, is, uh, that is tough on them. <laughs> all, right. all right, Mossy. Listen, we got a lot of work to do. We got things to do today. Remind me never to travel with you uh, anywhere, uh, and certainly not in an in an airplane. And we're gonna we're gonna continue on with this because I need to get to the bottom of, of why you feel that that is appropriate uh, appropriate to do. But I, I I love the fact that you admitted that you are that guy. All right, for uh, for my final thought here, uh, now having gone and lived this World Cup existence here. In, uh, in Russia, the World Cup, as we know, isn't just about the kicking of the ball. It is about the experiences uh, that one has uh, when you are at a World Cup, the people that you meet, the, uh, the moments and the times that you, uh, that you have. It's also about seeing this influx of people into a country and a culture that, for the most part, they wouldn't be here otherwise. And so I mentioned earlier in the podcast about for example, the Mexican fans that, that are here and, and that just descend on whatever city the team is playing in. And the other day, Mexico played in Moscow. And to look out over Red Square and to see all the El Tri jerseys or, or to walk down the street on our way to our set and to see uh, Mexican fans singing and dancing and, uh, and getting ready or, or celebrating after the, uh, the game or to go to our hotel and to see the lobby and the bar just filled with Mexico fans. But more importantly, to see the joy in, in, in their faces, um, individually and collectively, after that result. Uh, it, it, was, it was wonderful. We have uh, a lot of people that we work with that are huge El Tree fans. And uh, a number of them had the opportunity uh, to go to the game uh, or at least to experience the game being here in Moscow and being close to that game. And that's really ultimately what this, what this World Cup is about. And you see it each and every day. And I'm just using Mexico as an example, but each and every day, the fan bases of, of these teams show up. And they are all different and they're all representative of their culture, but they're all here to have a good time. And to see them mingle and intermingle with, fans of, uh, of sometimes the opposition on that day or just other teams that are here at this World Cup, it is, it, it, it is wonderful. In this day and age where we have so many different problems uh, that exist, to be able to come together uh, with, this, with this natural thread uh, that binds us of, uh, of soccer and to see it play out day after day here at the World Cup, it warms the cockles of my heart. And, and it's fun to see. And we have this, this almost this perch that we sit upon overlooking Red Square. And we see all this, this dynamic going on between, uh, between people who come to this iconic place to take pictures, but then also to watch games and to um, see spontaneous uh, uh, musical numbers and fans chanting or people dancing uh, and to make these connections and partnerships through this game and through this tournament is just wonderful to see. And it's going to continue to go on and, you know, not to get all, all, all kumbaya uh, or too, uh, uh, you know, too, too sentimental, but it, it, it's a, it's a, it's an incredible thing. If you ever get a chance to experience a world cup in person, um, 
think twice before you turn it down because it is something to behold. Uh, and you know the, the the scores and the kicking of the ball that will come and go, and that will certainly you know become a part of history. But the things that you see off the field, uh, I think from an uh, from experience standpoint, are as important and can be sometimes even more important than the actual uh, the actual games. So I hope to see more of that. Um, and it, uh, it, it gets me every single time. Uh, I know we're working a whole lot, uh, Mossy, but to the extent that you can uh, get out and see the things and see the people that are here because they are celebrating this incredible country um, through this World Cup, and it's wonderful to see. All right, listen, we've already gone too long. We will be back again next week with another edition, uh, albeit a abbreviated one and one internationally uh, from uh, from Russia. We will have another round of games that will have happened. We will have another uh, power rankings, Fox Sports power rankings up that I guarantee will have changed and our perception of some of these teams uh, will have changed either for, uh, uh, for the better or for the worse. And uh, we will talk to you again next week. As always, uh, my name is Alexi Lawless. You can find me on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook. David Mossy, thank you so much. Is there anything you would like to say before we head out? Well, I'm glad you've got to spend time with your fellow Mexico fans. The only thing missing from that celebration was Landon Donovan. Uh, but uh, I'll end on this. Uh, Neymar, ditch that haircut. Uh, you look like Zach Morris from Saved by the Bell. I, I can't look at that anymore. So hopefully he, he, he has a different look for the next game. Oh, man. You, you're going you're gonna to do that. All right. Well, we'll see if, uh, if Mossy's Brazil can step it up either in the actual game or at least in their hair game going forward. Uh, have a wonderful time watching the games. I hope everybody at home is, uh, is doing well and enjoying this incredible World Cup and this incredible story that continues to unfold uh, as to the players, the teams, uh, and this tournament itself. All right. Size the day. <laughs>